the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, July 1st, 2021. I was listening to another show on 960 this morning when a caller asked the host, can you tell me what woke means? And it dawns on me the neologisms have been coming fast and furious, and they, as we described in the case of critical race theory, can be very confusing, even sometimes when conservatives try to explain them. The point is to fuddle them, old Scrooge tape told his nephew and they do fuddle us don't they with new words whose meanings seem nearly exclusively shaped by the dictionary of humpty dumpty you remember that from through the looking glass i don't know what you mean by glory alice said humpty dumpty smiled contemptuously of course you don't till i tell you i meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you but glory doesn't mean a nice down knockdown argument alice objected when I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, no, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, who is to be master, that's all. Many of you also know this as the argument of Thrasymachus in Plato's Republic. Power is just the interest of the strongest. Many of you know this is basic positive law, unrestrained by natural rights or anything else, and of course thus the building block of every form of tyranny known to history. Funny enough, just yesterday here I was speaking of the conflict between natural right and positive law in the context of some of what Ilan, Ilan Omar was saying on Tuesday. I had a occasion to quote the philosopher Leo Strauss. Let me continue where I left off. He wrote, to reject natural right is tantamount to saying that all right is a positive right, and this means primarily that what is right is defined exclusively by legislatures and courts. Now, it is obviously meaningful and sometimes even necessary to speak of unjust laws or unjust decisions. In passing such judgments, we imply that there is a standard of right and wrong independent of positive right or power, and higher than positive right or power a standard with reference to which we are able to judge of positive right. Many people today hold the view that the standard in question is in the best case nothing but the ideal or ideals of a society. But according to the same view, all societies have their ideals, certainly all cultures do, cannibal societies and cultures no less than civilized ones. If principles are sufficiently justified by the fact that they are accepted as ideals by society, the principles of cannibalism are as legitimate as the principles of the Declaration of Independence. If there is no standard higher than the ideals of one society, there exists no possibility of taking critical distance from those ideals. But the mere fact that we can raise the question of the worth of the ideals of our society shows that there is something in man that is not altogether enslaved to his society and therefore that we are able and even obliged to look for a standard 
with reference to which we can judge of the ideals of our society as well as of any other society. Let me illustrate it this way, if I might. Given Western notions of freedom of speech, religion, inquiry, association, and press, a cannibalistic society will never question itself. A non-cannibalistic society is much more likely to. End of story. So, no, there are certain conditions to freedom, the breach of which is to enter the territory of tyranny, redefining words as much as redefining people. And they usually go hand in hand. Think of the dysphemisms we use for those whose human rights we try to deny. If they're black or if they are untermentioned to another society, they might be called a slave. Uh, here in America and in certain other societies, N, in other words, to delegitimize the humanity of a black person, fetus, to delegitimize the humanity of an unborn child. So the word woke should be understood, I believe, and I'd really like the mainstream media to understand its understanding from the get-go, ab initio, from its origin, from its etymology, because its very opposite original meaning from today's meaning is so very different from today's meaning that I believe if we restored the original meaning of the word woke, we would find the roadmap to more racial harmony and justice in this country. The word woke actually first made its appearance in the New York Times. It was the year 1962 in an op-ed by one William Melvin Kelly. The op-ed was titled, quote, No Mickey Mouse can be expected to follow today's Negro idiom without a hip assist. If you're woke, you dig it, close quote. Pardon my using the vernacular and parlance of 1962, but for purposes of preserving the original, I'd like to. Mr. Kelly was writing about an ad he saw in the New York City subway. The oddest thing is what Kelly wrote in 1962 about his culture, that of what he called the American Negro. He said, despite some of the new words coming out of the African-American community, the black man, quote, wants to be completely accepted in American life, not differentiated with special terminologies. He dreams of living in a good neighborhood, driving a nice car, sending his children to a good school, making a decent living. He realizes that anything which sets him apart will keep him apart, close quote. Of course, that, in fact, was the main goal of civil rights in the 1960s, integration, mainstreaming into, into all of American life. Somewhere, somehow, that became no longer the goal, but the enemy of the goal. Integration was transmogrified into re- and self-segregation. Judgments by race, then deemed odious, have become de rigueur and anti-racist, at least to what we have now maintained and mainstreamed as the woke consciousness, which is consciousness raised, black power, not human or equal consciousness, racial consciousness. Are you aware of how odious the idea of racial power or the power of race was to the integrationist ethic, the ethic of the inventor of the term woke even? Let me read you a quote from a little later in that decade, four years later, 1966. Quote, we've heard a lot of talk over the last few months of black power, and we've started hearing talk of white 
power. But I don't talk about black power or white power. I would prefer to believe in a kind of striped power. We're black and white together. We work to achieve the legitimate power that all of God's children must have to function in life. The fact that there is no separate black path to power and fulfillment that does not intersect white routes is the fact of America. There is no white path to power and fulfillment short of chaos that does not share that power with black aspirations of freedom and human dignity. What we must come to see is that we are tied together and every Negro is a little white and every white person is a little Negro. All of our music, our language, our material, prosperity, even our foods are an amalgam of black and white. So the Negro needs the white man to save him from his fears, while the white man needs the Negro to save him from his guilt. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Guess who said that? Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. at Monmouth University. King, Reverend, Christian Church. The Smithsonian last year told us Christianity, however, is a badge and symbol of being white. Got it? Oh, and those values of the inventor of the term woke from African-American writer William Melvin Kelly? Again, as he wrote, the African-American dreamed of, quote, living in a good neighborhood, driving a nice car, sending his children to a good school, making a decent living, close quote. Those last two the Smiths, to the Smithsonian are badges and symbols of whiteness, sending children to a good school, making a decent living. To those of us who still dream what we consider the possible dream of there being minimal differences among and between the races in America when it comes to economic and judicial and economic opportunities and outcomes, that dream sure is still today our dream. We just believe the current redefinition of that which constitutes woke or enlightened, is little more than being like prisoners in the Platonic cave, seeing falsity and thinking it's real. John McWhorter of Columbia University put it this way recently. He wrote, In the 1960s, a new and powerful fashion in black thought, inherited from the general countercultural mood, rejected championing assimilation to proposing that opposition to whiteness is the soul of blackness. Meanwhile, white leftists encouraged as many poor black women as possible to go on welfare, hoping to bankrupt the government and inaugurate a fairer America. Soon, being on welfare in poor, back, in poor black communities became a new normal, hardly the usual, but so common that people grow up seeing not working for living as ordinary. Then at the same time comes drugs. By the way, working hard for a living was also a symbol and badge of whiteness, according to the Smithsonian. But all this happened at the same time came the drugs. This then felt more natural to young men than it would to have their fathers around because, one, the new mood sanctioned dismissing traditional values as those of the chump, while, two, it no longer felt alien to eschew legal employment. And, three, the drugs helped make it that most boys in these deprived neighborhoods would grow up without fathers, all the more so. I could call all of this common sense. I could call it the obvious. I could call it the equivalent of two plus two 
equaling four. You pay people only if there is no father. What are you going to get? More money and less fathers. But as California and other woke states are proposing right now, I can't say it's like two plus two equaling four anymore. And no one who sees today's society having read George Orwell can say it either. Because, yeah, there are states now, and California is one of them, that are going to propose that there is such a thing as mathematical racism and two plus two equaling four can constitute that. But I show you the times. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Is that Lionel? Who is that? Lionel Richie? Lionel Richie doing the night shift. Yeah. Why was I thinking of Maurice White the other day? Why was I thinking of the Earth, Wind, and Fire? Oh, I remember why. Do you remember why I was thinking of Earth, Wind, and Fire? These are the three elements. Funny thing is there's four. Where's, where's, where's water? Why is why is the band not called Earth, Wind, and Fire and Water? Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water. They kicked water out. You know when you put all those four essences together, you know what you get. When you unite the four essences, medieval essences of Earth, Wind, Air, Fire, Earth. Sorry. Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water. Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water. Do you know what happens when you unite those four essences? You get the quintessence. You've certainly used the word quintessence or quintessential. Certainly you have. You just didn't realize it was so good. It was when something's quintessential, you say it's like the good, the perfect, the bow ideal, right? The top apex of something. It's the uniting of the four essences. It's when earth, wind, fire, and water are all united. Am I, am I overdoing the point? I just don't know why earth, wind, and fire left out water. Anyway, Facebook is... Um, up to a new tactic. This this is this is really odd. And I haven't been on Facebook. I don't know when the last time I was on Facebook has been, but I, I, I ditched it at least at least two years ago. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask others to do so. People are reporting, maybe you will be if you're a Facebook user, reporting getting this uh, pop up. Quote, are you concerned that uh, with a fa- under the Facebook tag, you know, with the Facebook logo, are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? <laughs> Aren't you glad that we're now that we're now exporting the spy state through social media to have citizen report on citizen now? Isn't this good? Isn't this wonderful? Why not just say, do you know someone who's a racist and open that up? Are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? I'm laughing. It's not funny. The implications are huge. We care about preventing extremism on Facebook. It goes on. Others in your situation have received confidential support. How can you help? Hear stories and get advice from people who escaped violent extremist groups. I'm going to bet you not a single one of them is a member of an ex-terrorist organization. I'm going to bet you 
no Waleed Jobat types. I think that not is that, is that who I'm thinking of. Anyway, not one of them is going to be someone who extricated themselves from a terrorist organization. Are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? Does that not frighten you? Does that not frighten you? Someone came to me with the idea of, well, why don't we just out racists? Do you know someone who's a racist or a bully? I mean, this this kind the abuse, the level of abuse this opens and subjects itself up to is rife with potential. Let me give you an example. Bill, how many uh, how many times have we taken calls from listeners, male and female alike, who have uh, severed or been severed, I should say. I don't think most of our listeners have severed, but have been severed from the connections to their family and friends because of political postings. How many is that number? It's a lot, isn't it? It's, several, and it's sad. It's, it's more than several. I mean, we whenever we open this up, I mean, haven't I been asked advice? I don't have a coherent piece of advice, a uniform piece of advice on this. It's one of the few things in social culture I don't. Maybe I should write one up tonight and read it tomorrow as my monologue. But then again, no, I can't because our mentor has a monologue tomorrow, right? No, not tomorrow, starting next Friday. Starting next Friday, our mentee will begin commencing his monologues. So maybe I'll do this next tomorrow. Although you were probably expecting something with respect to the 4th of July. I want to know what people are doing special for the 4th of July. I really do. Uh, but And we'll have a big 4th of July show tomorrow. Are you uh, able to? Are, are you good with the Magnum PI element of this? Bill memorizes opening monologues from Magnum PI, and there's one a special to the Fourth of July. I want to come back to the Facebook thing in a moment, but uh, Bill, do you remember the Magnum PI opening on the Fourth of July that uh, you committed to memory? Do I remember it? Does Magnum wear a tiger's hat? Thank you. Let's hear it. Do it. There, there are no notes on this, folks. I've always felt at home on the ocean, even as a kid. Maybe that's why I spend so much time alone on it, even on the 4th of July. I know the 4th should be spent drinking beer and eating hot dogs at the ballpark with your buddies or hopping in a potato sack race with your best girl or barbecuing in the backyard with your folks. Maybe for most Americans. For me, the 4th has been a day to spend alone, to remember. That's really fantastic, Bill. That's really fantastic. You want to hear the real thing? Yeah. I've always thought at home on the ocean. That. I, I, I caught myself there. I, I listened to things sped up at 2x speed. He, not only does player. he memorize these things, he memorizes them by listening at two times their speed. <laughs> it's really He's it's, really a feat of nature. It's like swinging two bats well, on the on-deck Before circle. we go out, well, look, we, why don't we go out with it instead of music because we're pushing up. Can we do that? It's ready. But let me ask you this question. We asked you to memorize something else, and it's actually more uh, involved. What was it we asked? Oh, yes. I do not yet have down. What is Robert it? Shaw's speech yeah. in Jaws? Yeah, we're going to have you USS give the Indianapolis, Indianapolis speech, right? Yep. USS Indianapolis speech. That'll be a good challenge. When do you think you can have that ready by? Uh, give me a week. Really? Sure. All right, let's go out with Magnum PI. We'll come back with you. 602-508-0960. I've always felt at home on the ocean, even as a kid. Maybe that's why I spend so much time alone on it, even on the 4th of July. I know. Or should be spent with your buddies drinking beer and eating hot dogs at the ballpark or hopping in a potato sack race with your best girl or barbecuing in the backyard with your folks. Maybe for most Americans. For me, 
The fourth has been a day to spend alone, to remember. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Jason Miller, a former advisor to Donald Trump, is announcing that the Trump Organization is starting its own uh, social media uh, platform. Uh, Here from uh, Fox Exclusive, former Trump senior advisor Jason Miller is launching a new social media platform on July 4th to declare independence from big tech, billing it as a cancel-free zone focused on free speech with superior technology. He says will be the envy of Silicon Valley. The platform is called GetTR, G-E-T-T-R, which Miller, the CEO of the company, told Fox News, evolved from the idea of getting together. It is it is interesting, uh, isn't it, that um, certain, what should I call them, web tools, websites, web platforms, even apps, uh, have nothing to do or say nothing about in, in, what, in their title what they do. Right. I mean, if you just went up to someone who landed here um, from Mars but was well familiar with the English language, Twitter wouldn't exactly tell you what it is or what it does. I could do that with a whole number of of uh, websites, apps and programs. Right. They just, you know, just look at my phone, I guess. And I could tell you. But uh, any number of them just, you know, what, you don't know. You don't know what they do. You just you just don't know what they are because the names don't have to mean very much. You know, Google. Amazon, all these things don't tell you what they are. In any event, G-E-T-T-R, getting together. I don't have much more to say about it, except I'm looking forward to it, especially in context of what Facebook is putting out again yet today. I have to tell you um, that I'm a little hesitant. You tell me if this is a worry to you. You tell me. can kind of hear some of you saying, Liebson, you're going a little soft here. And I might be, so fix me if I am. But do we worry that we're creating one more platform that won't allow us to interact or read people, authors, stories, items, essays we disagree with? Will we be missing out? And not because we or Getter is censoring, but because the left won't participate in it. Liberals won't participate in it. Someone called the other day and asked me a tough question and said, uh, why would a conservative even stay on Twitter? And I have a different answer from Facebook than I do Twitter. I don't have a good answer for the Facebook. They shouldn't. On Twitter, I understand the point if you use it as a news aggregation site um, that makes it nearly impossible. I wouldn't say impossible, but makes it very, very, very difficult to replicate on other platforms given the participation of liberals and leftists and people who might not be considered your kind of conservative. So I'm wondering if you think it will be limited in that way and if that will be a problem. You know, it dawns on me, just to buttress my point as I'm thinking it through one one more level, One of the things we're so upset about with being canceled and shut down and the censorship on places like Twitter is because we're posting stories we want to get around and out, right? Let's take as 
a main example. Let's let's take a, any number of them. It, it could be the Hunter Biden computer story that was uh, that the quietist was put on. It could be. You know what it could be? It could be answering the myth that ju- that Donald Trump called white supremacists good people. Um, it could be any number of these things. We, we put them out there on places like Twitter, not so that I can communicate to Bill, John, the mentee, or you all who already know the story, but to friends and family members who don't, i.e. probably, in most cases, people who are not ab initio in agreement with us politically. So does it diminish the value of us being that happy over our own platform if liberals and open-minded people, uh, to the degree uh, they're open-minded on Twitter but won't do anything on a Trump network, are we going to miss out that major point here, that major advantage? In other words, I didn't say that well, and I apologize for thinking out loud. Let me try, let me try and put it crisply. Is it going to be a deficit and a problem that what we will be doing is creating yet one more echo chamber where what we want to get out, we are happy we can get out because we won't be censored for it, but we'll be talking to the audience that already knows it? Will that be the problem? Because that audience that we're trying to reach won't participate as they do on Twitter, knowing it's a Trump outfit. Be interesting question. 602-508-0960. You will have to forgive me for that. I apologize. John is in Phoenix. Welcome back to the show. Hi, John. Oh, hi. I said just a couple of questions. Um, with this uh, uh, 1619th, my question is this, where are the American uh, historians, the guys that write these books? Uh, Joseph Ellis wrote the book about Washington, uh, and uh, this Stacy Schiff, Ben Franklin author, Ron Chernow wrote on Hamilton and Grant. Why are they speaking up about what, what happened in I won't say uh, 1619, but 1620, and, and why why this is a, a false narrative compared to what's going on. And, of course, our friend uh, David McCullough, number one silver man, uh, silver-haired historian, they're like hiding under the desk. I don't see him on TV. I don't see him writing articles. What do you think? A couple things. Um, a, couple, uh, a couple of things. Uh, one is that a couple of very well-respected and liberal, very well-known liberal historians uh, led by Sean Willens at Princeton. These are Pulitzer Prize-winning liberal historians. Um, uh, they did write an essay um, on this for The New York Times. They redid one for uh, The Atlantic Monthly. I don't think McCullough was on it. I don't remember if Ellis was. I do remember Gordon Wood. Ellis may or may not have been on there. I just don't remember. But to your point, John, you make a good point, which is uh, McCullough I'll excuse just for, you know, I think he's like 92 and I'll, I'll, I won't yeah. trouble the poor with begging, as they say in Shakespeare. But I will say this. They did it once and they backed, you know, and then they and they went silent. But it is out there. If you want to research, uh, go ahead and just Google Sean Willens 1619 or something like that. There were a group of liberal famous historians that said you guys are are, are selling crud. Um, 
but they haven't stayed on it and they haven't pushed it. And I understand that, of course. You know, you did it. You said it. It's there. It's on the record. So it's been left to, um, I don't know, I guess people like you and me, John, to pick up their work and promulgate it and disseminate it. But um, you're right. The reaction should have been much stronger. Well, we don't seem – I mean, most of the historic – the Charles Beards of the world, he's passed away, obviously. Uh, and yeah. a lot the, fellow, the, the people that wrote our – but they wrote the book. They didn't mention it. They didn't mention the 1619 theory, whatever. And the other thing is that – Oh, it's brand new know, and it's invented. Um, yeah. And, yeah, no, it's – and it's amazing to me how, how fast it became so popular. But that's because of the vacuum that I blame conservatives for creating in our public education system. And you're, no offense, buddy, your job to uh, fill in that void. <laughs> Thank you. I No, I take it. I take it. I take the charge, John, and I appreciate it. Uh, what I, what, yeah, I, I think I spend a fair amount of time talking about it. What I want to know from you is how much more should I or how much less should I? I, I, I have to tell you, I think, I think the, 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 the entire basket of horribles that includes, let me call it a parade of horribles, that includes the 1619 Project, Wokeness, Critical Race Theory, Black Lives Matter, all of it is of one major re-racialization piece that is both ahistorical in that it doesn't tell you the truth and that it is tyrannical in that it insists upon itself as the truth and it is censorious in that it will criticize anyone who deigns to criticize it. It is one of the most tyrannical pedagogical tools I could imagine creating. I was thinking of the um, famous education report from 1983 called A Nation at Risk. There's only one education report the Department of Education ever put out, U.S. Department of Education ever put out that anyone still remembers or quotes once in a while. And it was called The Nation at Risk, 1983. The famous phrase from it was, we're facing a rising tide of mediocrity. But they made an interesting point in the preface to that study. And they said if an alien, an alien culture or foreign enemy wanted to destroy this country, they could do little better than creating – for our children, the kind of education we have created for them ourselves. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about that in the context of depriving us of our history and our glory and our quest for, fight for, and battle cry of freedom. CRT, wokeness, 1619, BLM, it is all opposed to that. It's all opposed to that, which is why, and I hate to even raise the question, but let me do so now because it's been on my mind. Are you a little worried about this 4th of July? I don't mean for violence or anything like that, but are you a little worried that it's it's going to be a little dampered? Do you realize that the – do you worry a little bit that the state of patriotic fervor has been uh, – Vitiated, weakened, denuded, taken down market. I worry about that. I worry about that for this holiday as much as I worry about it for the year 2026, which is five years away, which will be our 250th anniversary. 
because I remember what 1976 felt like. And those of you alive during 1976, Bill, do you remember? You would have been very young if you were alive. You may not have been. I don't know. But those of us alive in 1976 very well remember what the 200th anniversary celebration was like. It was a big damn deal, such a big damn deal that people probably think Ronald Reagan was president. He wasn't. It's Jerry Ford. But that's how patriotic it was. I mean, if you thought back, oh, wasn't Reagan president? No, he ran for president in 76, which was part of that patriotic fervor that he got so close. But no, um, I, I, I just don't think we're the same country. I worry very much about that. And the signs are all around us. I've been giving some monologues on how we're not the same country anymore. Think of the treatment Gwen Berry got this week, which is nothing. Versus the treatment those athletes uh, got in 1968 in Mexico City. They were thrown off the team. They were suspended. It's a different country. Where am I going to next? Rick in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, my friend Seth. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's so good to be able to talk to you. It's really nice to hear your voice. You've been uh, you've been missed. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's nice. That's way to too passive voice. And... That's just uh, that's insulting to you. I can do better than that, Rick. No, no. I no, and the audience nice have missed, missed you. <laughs> I and the audience have missed you so much so that we're going to take a um, an egregious commercial <laughs> profit break and then pick All up right. with you on the other side. We'll be right back. Listener uh, Don reminds me of another, uh, uh, would we call it artifact, another moment from the 1976 uh, fervor was uh, the Freedom Train, which he sent me uh, 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 pictures of and said he went to go see as it rode through America. Uh, Where did it end up? I'm trying to remember where the Freedom Train ended up in 1976. I just don't remember. Was it one of the space... Was it Cape Canaveral? Something like that, maybe? Anyway, uh, we were talking to our buddy Rick, and don't forget to remind me, Bill, we need to talk about why you went out with that song in the last segment, something you will never do again. Rick, go ahead, sir. All right. Seth, it is great to be talking to you on KKNT, which in the Arizona vernacular is kicking it. Nice. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. Like G- it. Yeah, yeah, like GTTR. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, boy, you, in, in that conversation with John, you covered so many things that uh, that's one of the reasons I love you and love your show, because you just cover the territory, which leads me to my point. Yeah. And that is that I am not on, I have never been on, and I never plan to be on Twitter. Wow. And what about Facebook? Uh, not, not Facebook. Now, I was on Twitter up and I mean, uh, Facebook up until about a year ago. Okay. I forgive I you. Totally I was on it until about it. two years ago. So we're, we're close yeah. to the same sobriety date. Yeah, I got totally fed up with it. Yeah. But let me tell you about Twitter, uh, uh, Seth. Uh, I listen to you. I listen to, you know, the radio pretty much through the day. I uh, watch the news. Not all, not every night, not all the time, but on a fairly regular basis to pick things up. Channel 10, uh, Fox, Newsmax, uh, every 
once in a while I'll tune in to Channel 3 and Channel 10 and Channel 12 just to see what they're lying about. And uh, I feel like, I mean, and from the people I talk to and listening to your program, I am very well informed on the news. In fact, I might even say better informed. You are better informed. You have, ri- you have given me things I have written down that I've never seen before or heard before. Uh, well, including uh, quotes by Lewis, C.S. Lewis. I think you introduced me. Didn't you introduce me to Bastiat, I, who I'd never, believe it or not, even thought of? And Wasn't that you? No, I don't think yeah, that it was, was me. Yeah, it was. Just agree. But C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I did, I did give you gave me that, me that quote. great C.S. Lewis quote. Yeah, yeah. And you've, I know you've used that. All the time, time. All the time. Very good. Very yeah, good. no, you're better informed. Seth, I love you, brother. Love you, too. And uh, keep up the good work, and I hope I'll be able, on a more regular basis, to be able to listen to you during the time that you're on so that I can call in and talk with you. Can't wait. Love and it. keep kicking it. You, I love it. You gave us that, too. KKNT, <laughs> kicking it. I hope yeah. Jim Ryan, my boss, is listening. All right. We should adapt it for the Thanks. station. Kicking Thanks. it with KKNT. Be right back.